Yeah. See? We got it. Yeah, it's okay. It's good. I grew up playing sports. I like when it gets loud in the stadium and people cheer and clap and woohoo. You know, it's like there's just, you know. Yeah. Well, this morning, we'll continue on in a series. Before we do that, I guess uh, this is where, again, electronically, the electronic ushers will come forward and we'll receive our morning's tithes and offerings as they practice their social distancing. Thank you again for your faithfulness and giving. And in your Bible, if you would, turn with me to First uh, Peter chapter 2 here this morning. Um, as John is going to be talking about uh, being revived over the next six weeks, now, on Wednesday night, um, I'm probably going to spend the next uh, couple weeks talking about a real popular subject, one that most everybody in here is very familiar with. I don't know why I'm going to spend two weeks even talking about it, because we all have it down so well in our life, but it's uh, the topic of biblical submission. And, uh, and again, it's one of those subjects that uh, could make people cringe and or it gets them really excited. You know, it's like, yes, we need to talk about that. Um, and uh, there's a lot of uh, misinformation, you might say, um, because of it. But we're going to look at uh, a few things here this morning in First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 17. I titled this morning's message, the A plus B equals C. I'm, I'm one of those type of people that, you know, I, I think like uh, progressively in order. I can see abstract. I can see a big picture. I'm a visionary by, by nature. I can see things. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about doing ministry, and I can and for the most part, see the end from the beginning when we're doing it. And then it's just finding people in my life that will help put A plus B, you know, uh, there and pick up all the pieces so we can continue to, to move forward, make it happen. And I love that Peter does that. Uh, I love that Peter is one of those guys, and it's why it speaks to me, and hopefully it speaks to you, that he, he kind of puts the Christian faith in, in such a way that uh, it's, it's easy for us to comprehend where he's leading us and, and you know, if you just took it as an alphabet, that A, you know, plus B plus C, uh, or A plus B equals C, or one, you know, plus two, it's just, it, he's very progressive in, in this order, but it's one that we can just kind of gloss over, and we can really miss uh, his intent, and so I like to slow it down and and really take a look at this, and want to do that this morning, especially in light of the fact that we're, uh, I knocked over my communion earlier, so I wanted to pick that up. This has been clean, I want you to know. So even though it fell on the ground, it's still, it's still safe. But uh, uh, just that the Lord would use today to really uh, massage some things in our heart and make us appreciate the, this mercy and this grace that we've, that we've really been shown. I love you know, how worship just kind of sets the tone uh, for the things that the Lord wants to reveal uh, to us. Um, you know, As we get into the Word today, I just want to let you guys know as you leave the service today, my truck is parked right in front of the, the sanctuary right here. And you'll, you'll see it because it, it looks like a scene out of the movie Sanford and Son. Uh, there's a lot of junk. <clears throat> well, let's just say there's treasures in the back of, of my truck. <clears throat> I tried as hard as I could yesterday after we had a, we had a yard sale. And uh, I tried at the end of that, my wife said, you know, we, we don't normally take things to goodwill, and it's not because we oppose goodwill, but goodwill is for profit. They're, they're just, it's not a, you know, Christian organization per se. You know, there might be Christians that work there, but, um, but it's all for profit. Where the Salvation Army, uh, you know, obviously has a Christian heritage and Christian roots, and so we always try to keep things in the family as much as possible, you might say. 
So I go to the one closest to my house and, and uh, they don't want anything that I have. <clears throat> and so they said, well, you have to go down to 19th uh, and Union. That's the main place. And I've got this stuff piled in the back with one strap holding the whole thing down, right? So I'm having to gingerly drive downtown. <clears throat> and as I'm doing that, you know, I, I finally get there and I first I go in the wrong gate. I don't know it's the wrong gate. It's just a gate that's open. I drive in and I see a guy in a truck and you talk about mercy is why I'm sharing this with you is he looks at me and I, and, and see, I know what he was thinking because I'm like that man. Have you ever looked at someone with disgust in a vehicle, like you're, that you're in a vehicle and, and I came in the wrong gate and I knew I came in the wrong gate, not because there was a sign, because I saw the face of the, of the Salvation Army truck driver who was in front of me and he's at the wheel like this and he's first, he goes, so I stop like this and, and then I see him go like this. So I go, I, I know that I've done wrong. I, I've, look, I've seen that look my whole life. <clears throat> I know what it is. So he gets out of the truck and he walks over and he's like, but he was nice about it. He goes, sir, you can't go this way. And I was like, I wanted to tell him, okay, Captain Obvious, you know, uh, but <laughs> I could tell by the look on your face that I couldn't go that way. But um, he said, there's nails all over the ground in here. And you'll get a flat. I said, oh, thank you. So what do I, where do I go? And he goes, go around to the other side. Come in on, on Union Avenue. I said, okay. So I go around. So I pull up and there's now a, a rollout little barrier there. It's like a checkpoint. I mean, a junk checkpoint, right? I mean, so I pull up and I stop and the guy comes walking out. And he... <laughs> sir? Yeah, at least he called me sir. He looks at me and he goes, we don't want it. I go, you got to be kidding me. I go, you don't even know what's in there. I could have gold bars underneath this. And he's like, uh, well, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I'm not trying to, you know, um, insult you, but uh, we, don't, we don't want your stuff. I'm like, fine. So I'm back. I call my wife. I'm like, honey, I'm trying to get rid of this stuff. <laughs> what do I do? I just take it to the dump? So I don't want to take it to the dump. I want to give it to you. So, no, I mean that sincerely. It's like, there's some good stuff in there. So you might, you know, one man's junk is what? So if you want to look through that out there, you're not going to hurt my feelings. If you say it looks like junk and you don't like it, you'll just be the third person in two days that told me that. So, you know, it's not going to hurt my feelings. But uh, all that, uh, you know, we, we need mercy. So I've struck out. So I, I pull into Starbucks. So I thought, oh, I'll go in there and I'll get a nice tea on the way home. So I'm texting my wife to find out if she wants something from Starbucks. So I'm texting her and... The cars moved up one. I just want you to know. One, right? Not all the way to the thing. There was like five or six cars. So we moved up one. Well, I was looking down on my phone. The guy behind me, eh, eh. So I look back and, sorry, sorry, sorry. We're going nowhere. But, but I, so I, I pull up. So I get to the front there. And I'm thinking about, you know, mercy. I'm thinking about this message. I'm, God, you know, just help me be merciful. Because what is by definition mercy? Mercy is what? If somebody asks you, they go, what, what does it mean to be merciful? We, we say grace is what? Getting what I don't deserve, right? And mercy is what? Not getting what I do deserve, okay? And God has shown us great mercy, amen? And we need to keep that in mind. So I'm thinking, Lord, how do I be merciful to this guy? So I'm looking at the thing, and he's still agitated. Like, you know, I ruined his whole day by, by he couldn't pull up to nowhere. I mean, we were going nowhere. So I tell the gal, I said, hey, I go, can I pay for that 
that person behind me, can I pay for their, their drinks? Yeah, it's $4, gladly. And not because I, I was trying to be nice. I was wanting to, <laughs> I was wanting to, I was wanting to heap coals upon his head. Like my interpretation of that, you know, is to heap coals upon their head. That's what, I mean, think about this. This is how, this is how rotten we can be, you know, me, not you. You guys, none of you think like this. You probably go, oh my gosh, how do I, why do I go to this church? The pastor had that kind of a, that kind of a thought towards another human being. I was like, yeah, yeah. I was thinking, so I'm going, I want to bless him. That, that's how I, that's how I got to get rid of the ugliness in my heart and be merciful. It's like, I'm going to bless them. So it's like, okay, can I pay for their, their drink? They go, yeah, <laughs> it just made my day. Cause I was thinking now they'll get up there and they go, oh, hi, I just want to know the, the guy in front of you. Oh, the guy that I basically gave the California peace sign to and, and, uh, you know, da, 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 and had all these, you know, yes, that's the guy. Yeah. See, there's something about this. And like I said, this, this isn't a, a rabbit trail story. It fits everything that has to do with what Peter is proclaiming to us as, as we study this particular book. We live in a, in a time that is much like what Peter was dealing with in the world in which he lived, if not obviously to a greater degree then. But we can all understand the struggles and being merciful and needing mercy in our lives. And so I'll just uh, invite you to pray with me as we jump into this this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for, Lord, the opportunity to study it together. And may, Lord, as we, we read here in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, Lord, may you give us hope in these dark places of life, in the dark moments of life, that, uh, Lord, we could live lives that are not only pleasing to you, but they're pleasing to us, uh, Lord. Uh, again, we know, and, and really maybe the key point to this whole sermon today is, Lord, we're not going to change the world through revolution. We hear this all, all the time. We're seeing it in the news and in the media. What you want to remind us today, it's what communion is all about, that the transformation that'll take place in our life, uh, Lord, the, the, the work that, that you do that will change the world, uh, again, will just come by that, that, that very word, transformation. Uh, Lord, it's not information. It's not because we've read the Bible more and we have more information. But Lord, it's by transformation as you transform us, Lord, as we renew our mind in you and we think on your, your word and you, you change us and transform us and change us by the power of your spirit. And so we invite you to do that even today, even now in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And so, you know, you think about, again, the word submission and it's, it's very difficult. You know, you think about in all of our lives, uh, it's hard. You go, why? And it's because it's, it's hard for me to die to myself. Does anybody else, by, by a show of hands, is it difficult to die to yourself? Or is there anybody that's really easy just to die to yourself? I, you know, it's like the flesh doesn't die easy. It, it does everything to live. I've sat with many people who have passed from this life uh, into eternity and that who had, you know, uh, illnesses that there, there was no way to heal from, but it was amazing how they hung on. And they're just the, the body struggles. It does everything to stay alive, which demonstrates we weren't created for death. We were created for life. Death entered into the world because of sin, but Jesus came to give us life and life to the fullest. And so when you think about this, you know, uh, this morning, uh, again, I, I think of the prophet Isaiah. If you look there in Isaiah 53, 6, you don't need to turn your Bible. I'll just pull it up on the screen there for you. It says this. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone. You know, you look at this, you know, 
we have a, a new software program here. Um, it's, I'm going to try this. So if you look at this, it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to what? What does it say there? Yeah, to his own way. See, John Jones will have this down on Wednesday night. He will, he will not just dazzle you with not only excellence in, in his exegesis of the word of God, but this guy, he can do this far better than I can. He can circle. I can only like barely underline the thing. John will circle the word. He will highlight, he'll put asterisks. I mean, it'll be, you do not want to miss Wednesday night. That's all I'm going to tell you with that. But, uh, but uh, thanks to our IT guys, because this will, will really help us, you know, as we go along to highlight things and to bring things out, you know, for you to help you uh, to retain it as we, as we move forward. And so I, I thank them for creating the tools that we can use. But you look at that, it says, we've all turned aside everyone to his own way. And it says, and the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. And, and you think about that, you know, Jesus was completely submissive to the Father's will. I mean, and, and, and uh, I don't have it up, but uh, the message translation of Isaiah 53 is so powerful because we, we think about, you know, people ask the question, you know, was Jesus, was he a handsome man? Uh, you know, and, and the Bible, I believe, is perfectly clear that Jesus, there was nothing about Jesus that was beautiful when you saw him. What was beautiful about Jesus was who he was on the inside, that it was deity, it was veiled by humanity. But it says, but we looked upon him and there was nothing that would have attracted you to him. And that's important to me to help you understand as to why. And you go, if you think about it, why? And you go, because if he was handsome and he had it all together, people would go, oh, that's why people followed him. Because it's what happens in the world, right? You take a, a woman who's beautiful and she'll have a million followers. You take a man who's handsome, he'll have a million followers. But you put somebody out there that's ugly in the world standards and they go, and who do they got? You know, their grandmother, you know, their mom. And that's about it. That's following and so to follow Jesus, it's not going to be because he had this earthly appeal. It's because we're drawn to the inner person. And I believe that I can, I can demonstrate the proof of that contextually. You think about Proverbs chapter 31, and we talk about the virtuous wife, right? And, it'll, and it says at the end of the chapter, it says, charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain, but a woman who what? Who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, how we can focus on all these external things, but God wants to bring about in the truest sense, transformation in our lives that uh, again, and, and as Jesus goes to the cross, that's what bursts that transformation that he, matter of fact, it wasn't just that, you know, scripture, because here's the two thoughts with Isaiah 53 is the belief that not only did, was Jesus not a handsome man in, in the truest respect, but that when he bore our sin, think about this, when he bore our sin, and I, I had to read that, and I was studying through the message, and I encourage you, you know, I don't teach from the message translation, but I love to read the message translation. I, I love, there's not really too many translations that I don't like to read and get, you know, a different, you know, concept. One of my favorite uh, to teach from, and I, I start using it more and more, is the NLT. And a lot of people don't like it because they'll go, oh, there's certain things. And you go, there's, there's going to be issues with every translation, you know, to a certain degree. But uh, again, it, it, there's just, it's a beautiful thing when you can start to 
kind of get a, a greater image of what the message that the Lord is trying to communicate with us. And then the message translation, I had not really ever thought about this, thinking about Jesus' submission to me and to you and, and to the Father and the fact that when he went to the cross and he bore our sin, that you think about this, he was beaten beyond recognition, right? And in his being beaten beyond recognition, that's what caused him to, you know, for people to turn away. Um, is there anybody here, just by a show of hands, you've never seen the passion of the Christ because you couldn't handle the brutality of it. You heard that it was so brutal. You go, I just don't want to see it. And I, I know many people, and there's nothing wrong with that. They go, I, I, just, I can't view that. By this time, most people have. But, but when it first came out, I know many people that just wouldn't watch it because they just went, I just, I can't, I, I, I can't look upon that. But to think that it was my sin and it was your sin that made Jesus ugly, if you want to, if you want to put it that way. And, and you go, and, and how many of us would become ugly for the sake of, of someone else? If you had the choice, right? And I've shared this on many Mother's Days, and I'm going to get into this in the days ahead when we talk about submission as a wife to her husband. That's actually in chapter three. We won't get there today. But uh, think about this. You know, when a woman bears children, and I've shared this, I go, it's why we celebrate, you know, women so much. I mean, because if, if it was up to men to have babies, I could tell you right now, speaking for all men, we would be extinct. Okay. No, we would. As soon as it started to hurt, we'd go, I got to do this. It's going to hurt. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to hurt like crazy to bring a child. To eh, well, we'll adopt. And you go, well, you can't, you go, you have, somebody's got to, you know, hmm, well, okay, we're done. We'd all be in heaven. Maybe that would be the solution. You go, but uh, no, you go, why? To sacrifice your body? I mean, to think about this, that a woman, you know, and again, as much as in the world, and here's the contrast that, that I'm after here this morning, is that the world makes so much about our physical appearance, right? That's everything. And, and as a woman to go, you know what, I'm going to become pregnant. And when I become pregnant, uh, my hips are actually going to have to get bigger. I'm going to have to birth this child. And if we have it naturally, it's going to have to pass through the birthing canal. Your hips are going to get bigger. And guess what? Do they just go back right after, you know, you have a pregnancy? Nope. You go, and you're going to have, your skin is going to get stretched. And you're going to have these things they call stretch marks. You didn't even know what they were when you were 20 years old. But as soon as you had the baby, all of a sudden you go, what is this line that won't go away? You go, it's called a stretch mark. And you go, and I used to be really firm. And now I'm not so firm. And you go, what's that do? And you go, well, it's part of the process of having a baby. That you would allow your body to go through these changes that are irreparable at that point. There's no turning back. Like I said, we can be so vain and people can look at you know, all the things that they're trying to do to stop that. And you go, but on the other side of it, you go, that's why, again, of all the holidays, we have First and foremost, we have Easter and Christmas are the two greatest celebrations in the course of the, the year calendar for a church. You know what the next holiday is? Mother's Day. Why? And you go, because there's so much of a Christ-likeness in that, that submission to the Lord and to his will to surrender ourselves completely to him because it's the right thing to do. And that's what Peter really is drawing out here. You know, because the Christian life, to be honest with you, it's not evidenced by rules. The Apostle Paul, you know, tells us that, you know, the gospel is proclaimed by what? Power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. It's what God is doing not only in you, but it's what God will do through you. That's why, you know, we love our ministry, Recovery 180. You know, because some, someone can come in, they go, man, this was my life, you know. And, and you hear their testimony about what? Their transformation what God has done, that he took him from the pit, you might say, and placed him in the palace. And to be open about that and sharing that testimony. 
It's so, so powerful. And that's what people are looking for. Because you know what? We can argue theology all day, can't we? Look at all the different denominations within Christianity that exist on this planet today. How many different churches that have no fellowship with one another because they don't believe like we believe? And you go, wait, I thought we were all on the same team. You know, and this is what Peter is alluding to here. And so it's understanding that it's a changed life, a changed life. Nobody can argue with that. They can go, you know, I don't agree with them doctrinally, but you know what? It's pretty hard. <laughs> I know how that guy was. I know how that girl was. And she's so different today. And you go, wow, that is powerful. And that's the very thing that Peter is speaking of. If, if you've been with us, you know, I, I shared with you and we're born again, we're born into the family of God, right? And, and it provided some things for us. If you were with us, you remember it provides for us a living hope. It provides for us a present power. It provides for us a rejoicing love. That's what Peter was talking about in chapter one. It, it's the evidence, you might say, of our election. And, and, and that evidence we, we saw and we, we took a look at was the evidence of, of a desire for holy living, a, a desire for reverential fear of God in our life and, and, and a passionate love that's, that's lived out for other people. And then we looked at last week that transitions that love into what? A priestly role and function in all of our lives. So we, we're all now spiritual. Before you were born again, you were carnal, the Bible says. You were, you were fleshy. You were living in the flesh. But when you were born again, you were born again spiritually. And that's where this priesthood comes from, that every one of us, Peter writes, were living stones, and we're being built up into a spiritual house. There is a, a role. We put in the, the bulletin every week, you know, different ways that you and I can serve and we can use our lives for the glory of God. Some of us have just chosen this like, well, this is what I do. And you go, that's not living in submission. That's, that's, that's <laughs> as the book of Judges says, you know, every man does what's right in his or her own eyes. You go, but to pray every day, Lord, not my will, but thine be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then having Jesus as our model, though Philippians 2 says, though he was God, he did not regard it equality, remember, a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, right, to the point, the point of what? Becoming a man, to the point of what? Death upon the cross. That's what we celebrate there. And so, you know, this is where I, I think of the ABCs of what Peter is teaching us here. You know, like I said, in our last, you know, two studies, we, we learned that the ABCs of the Christian life, A is for a living hope, a present power, A, rejoicing love, and B stood for, uh, for be holy. That's what Peter was telling us. Be fearful, he said, be loving, and then be built up and be a holy priesthood, A, B. And then today, you know, C, we look at the C, it's for being chosen. It's, it's realizing we were chosen of God, that we were called out. So it's not just about submission, but chosen, called out, being a good citizen. And we'll talk about that. And then having our conduct that is submissive, A, B, and C. You look there in verse 9 of 1 Peter 2, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Again, who, whose people are we? You know, it says his, his own people that you may, and again, there, now there's a role. We talk about priesthood because people go, ah, Pastor Mike, well, you know, what's a priest? Well, remember what Peter's doing is he's reminding the Jewish audience that they don't have a leg up on Christians. Christians now are on equal ground. Judaism isn't separate from Christianity in Peter's eyes. Judaism is what leads to the fulfillment of Christianity, 
that the natural outcome is that someone who was born a Jew would place their hope in their Messiah. Jesus was Jewish, right? And that they would place their hope and their trust in him. They're, they're not to be separate in that respect. And so that they would understand a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people that you may declare. And again, why are we here on this planet? And this is where it comes back to being a living stone, you know, being built up. Again, if we're being built up into, uh, again, a priesthood, being his own special people that we might what? We proclaim. Jesus said, you know, in Matthew 28, what did he tell us to do? Go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them all that I've instructed you and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? So, so our priesthood is about a proclamation. That's the ultimate end. If, and that's how I know I've been elected. I mean, the true sense, if, if, if I've been chosen of God, think about this. You know, Jesus is in heaven, right, today? He's in heaven. We're on earth. He's left you and I here to do something for him, right? In, in the simplest terms, that we're here to be exactly what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 is telling us, is to live out this fact that we've been chosen of God. He chose us. You might not think it, you might not feel it today, but he has chosen you a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people that you may declare that your life would become a testimony. That's what he wants, is for your life to be a testimony. If, it's, again, if, if people followed you around all week, I mean, for give them give him seven full days, would it lead them to Jesus? Would it, would, it, would it give them any thought that you loved God and that you were passionate about him and that you were a pilgrim, as Peter said. And we'll, and we'll look at this in just a second here. Because that, that's what he's saying here, is that your, your life is speaking so loud that nobody can hear you speak. It's having that kind of a testimony. That's what he's talking about. God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look there in verse 11. It says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshy lust." which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable amongst the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your own good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And what's the day of visitation? It could be the second coming. It could be when they die. You know, again, it's appointed a man to die, and then what? Meet God. They're going to visit with God. They're going to see him. So to glorify God. And, and how, how would they do that? Well, Jesus said, you're a light that's set on a hill that can't be hidden. If, if, if you're chosen of God and you've been redeemed by God and the Holy Spirit lives within you, there is going to be a transformation. You are going to begin to love in the sense, you know, I'm going to what? I want to be holy. I want to be complete. I want to be all together. And you go, and how am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to live in fear of God. I'm going to be fearful of this judgment in my life. I'm not going to live my life for myself any longer. And in this rejoicing love is to understand that I've been loved by God. I'm not doing this to perform. I don't, I don't live in an unhealthy fear like God is just sitting in heaven and he just wants to thumb me out. No, it's that, as Paul would say, living with that reverential fear is a fear of what? Displeasing God. That you and I, by the way that we would, we would function on this planet, that we would want to bring glory to the Lord. 
And it's really speaking of what? Again, it's this, this inward purity that, that Peter's talking about. It's like, it's not conformity. Again, Paul writes this, right? In Romans 12, he says, don't be conformed into the world. So this is an A plus B equals C. Like, okay, this is a formula. Conform yourself to these things and this will happen because it won't. It won't. You can fake the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're faked every single day. But you cannot fake the fruit of God's Spirit. That's, that's the proof. That is what lets us know that God is working in us, that God is transforming our very lives. And you could say this, you know, that an inward purity of life will always be demonstrated by a quality of life, an outward quality of life, you might say. If there's an inward purity, there'll be an outward quality. Because what happens on the inside? Just like we say, garbage in, garbage what? Yeah. If Jesus is in and he's really in, is Jesus going to shine through? You go, absolutely. We are a light that's set on a hill. Jesus said that what? Cannot be hidden. That, that's the beauty of it. It's not like you got I gotta try to be shine. I gotta try to be brighter. I gotta try to be brighter. It's like, no. If you want to, if you want to, uh, and I shared with you, I love flashlights. You know how to make a flashlight brighter? How can you make a flashlight brighter? There is a way you can do it. How do you do it? Don't let me down. How do you make a flashlight? Just guess. How would you make a flashlight? What would you think? What would make, what makes a flashlight dull? Let's start there. What makes a flashlight not so bright? What? No batteries. Thank you. Thank you. What makes it then, what makes a flashlight dull? It works. It's got batteries, but what makes it dull? No charge in the battery, right? You ever felt like a dull light? Well, many times. Yeah. Yeah. What do you need to do? You need to be here on Wednesday night. Listen to John. Revive. Revive, right? Revive. God wants to recharge our batteries. It's an inside out job. That, that's what the Lord, that's the beauty of communion, being reminded of this. Many of us, we're functioning in our flesh today, even, you know, well-intended, just because you might be a nice person and da 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 da, da and you go, but there's nothing really going on inside. I mean, you look like a flashlight, you know, but you hit the switch and you go, man, I like those ones that, I mean, the little, my, and I, seriously, I don't like big flashlights. I, I got one. Somebody in the church gave me one time. It was one of the, from Costco. Remember that hundred, like thousand or million looms. It was so awesome. I got to blind the cheerleaders at Liberty High School one time when, when they came over to toilet paper our house when my, my, our sons uh, played football and, and uh, they came over and we hit them with that light, you know, about 12 o'clock at night. They were sneaking up to the house. And I told my son, just wait till they get right up to the window. And when they do, then open the thing and I'll shine the light on them. And it was so fun because I did. I hit the light and what did they do? They tripped over light. They were falling down. It was like they were, you know, it was so good, being blinded by the light, so to speak, you know, yeah, but just, you know, but I like those flashlights that are really little, that have so much, they get hot, you know, you had a really good flashlight, I and mean, then the thing's like hot in your hand, you go, wow, but it'll go, and you'll see the little advertisement, it'll, it'll, it'll shine a, uh, on a burglar that's a hundred yards away, right, and you can do it, and you go, yeah, there's something, focus light, focus, but that outward quality of our life, again, it's witness. Think, think about this today. Is what Peter's reminding us that it's living as a chosen people, called out of the world, heaven bound, yet living as a good citizen by our submissive conduct. And you think about that. You know, when we we think about that word 
submissive. You know, it's submissive. We'll, we'll look at this, uh, again, not all today, but submissive to government. This is what we'll look at over the next couple of weeks. Verse 13, submissive to your employer. In verse 18, submissive to your husband there in, in chapter 3, verse 1. So if you're married and a woman, you don't want to hear that. Just know in three weeks, you know, basically, or two weeks, don't. You know, I don't know what happened. I just, I missed that. I missed that Sunday. You know, I like to warn you in advance, you know, if I can help you out there. But the word submission, it's a Greek word. I'm not even going to try to, I'll just spell it for you. H-U-P-O-T-A-S-S-O. Hupotasso. Okay. Let's just say that. Which means to arrange in an orderly fashion a group of soldiers under a commanding officer. It's most often used as a military term, but here it's to mean voluntarily cooperate. It means to carry or to share a load. And I love that. It's something that you do, you choose to do. No one can make you submit. No one. It means to arrange, under, to subordinate, to subject, to put in subjection, to subject oneself, to obey, to submit to one's control. So we think of all these things with regard to the government. We think about this regard to a marriage. We think about this regard to an employer. It says to yield to one's uh, admonition or advice to obey, to be subject. And again, understand this. I put this in parentheses. It has nothing to do with your personal value. It has everything to do with order. Submission has nothing to do with your value. It has only to do with order. That's the way God always intended it to be. And people make it a value statement. And it's 100% wrong when that happens. And so you think about, you know, how do we live as model citizens in a crooked world? You think about that. In a word, submission. Because again, let me ask you this, plain and simple. If you don't get anything else out of today, get this. Are we going to change the world by revolution? No. The world is changed. You think about that. The world in your world, in my world, is changed by what? That right there. The cross. Transformation. It's an inside-out job, isn't it? And it's not just external obedience but it's an inward attitude as well. I love that, that story about the, the, the mom who back in the day when you didn't have to wear seatbelts and sit in a car seat and her little son, Johnny, is standing up in the front seat and she says, Johnny, you need to sit down because you know if you got to your, see, Johnny's jumping up and down the front seat and, and Johnny wouldn't sit down. So finally mom reaches over there and she grabs his arm and she goes, Phew, pulls him down and he's sitting down in the seat and he folds his little arms and he looks up at his mom and he says, mom, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Can, can you relate to that in your, in your life? And you go, and, and Peter says, it's sinful. He says that it's wrong, you know, that when we do that, that it, they're, they're, to, they're to line up. Because again, where does Jesus say all sin originates? Is it external? No, it originates in the heart. Paul said, you know, I kept all the commandments of God until I got to number 10. And I realized covetousness is a sin where? In my heart. Because when I realized that, he goes, I realized I broke every single commandment. That God would change our hearts from the inside out. So Peter's reminding us, you know, that to have an 
we have a living hope, a present power, rejoicing love. And we, because we have a desire to be holy, to be fearful, to be loving, and to be built up and to be built up into a, a holy priesthood, he says, you know, then therefore we can demonstrate that we're chosen people living as those who've been called out of darkness by being good citizens in submissive contact. And as conduct, our contact will be with the government here. First Peter 2, verse 13, it says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And here's the key. That's going to happen in every situation that we face, whether it's in marriage. Like women will go, you know what? Um, I shared this with my wife, you know, when we first got married. And I've shared it with her many times along the way. I've never struggled with her being submissive to me in, in our marriage relationship. And the reason why and I shared it with her and she could tell you, I said, you know, Lee, as much as I, maybe I want you to, I go, I know first and foremost in Ephesians chapter five, God has called men and women to be submissive to each other, which is so foreign to their culture. Remember women were possessions for the most part. It was Christianity that gave dignity and the value and the worth to women as individuals. And so here's Paul saying, you know, husbands submit to your wives. And then he says, wives submit to your husband, but what? as unto the Lord, right? And, and, I, and I told my wife, I said, honey, I won't ever struggle with you submitting to me because I know how much I struggle in submitting to the Lord and he's perfect. He has never done me wrong. And I, and I struggle every day of my life in submitting to his kingship and his lordship in my life. I fight against that. And yet I'm gonna hold you to this higher standard that I would hold myself to in my own relationship with God. Oh, I, trust me, I want to but it would not be right to do so. And so this isn't, you know, as we move forward, it's not just when we think about submission, all, automatically everybody runs to Ephesians 5 and it's about wives being submissive to their husbands. No, it's all of us being submissive to God in everything that we do, which then makes us submissive, just like Jesus. He was submissive to anything and everything. Paul said, I become all things to all men that by all means I might win some, right? The goal is to win people to Jesus Christ. The goal of your life and my life, the reason we are here on this planet and Jesus hasn't returned is there's people that don't know him yet as Savior and Lord. And he's wanting to work through in and through your life. And you, and you look back over the course of your, your Christianity, you know, for those of us that have walked with him for a long time, and you go, who are you impacting for the kingdom of heaven? And I could say, oh, you know, I impact my kids. And then you go, but that can be so selfish. You go, that's easy. I love my kids. You know, I love my grandkids. You go, but what about a world that you don't love? For God so loved what? The world. See, we, we, we isolate. Some, some people have walked, they've, they've literally, you know, we're like, you know, we are, not like we are. We're, we're hypocrites. Uh, we're just like the Sanhedrin. <laughs> we're just like the, the Pharisees. You know, we, we, we come up with our own Christianity that it, it, it's okay to protect ourselves, you know, and, and not risk our life, not lay our life down, you know, for the world, but we, I would go, oh, I'd do it for my kids, I'd do it for my wife, or I'd do it for my husband, or I'd do it for my friends. But God so loved what? The world. The world. And that's what Peter's reminding us here. And so all these things, they could seem worldly, you know, to us. He says, therefore, uh, in verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governors, to those who sent were sent by him for punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence. Again, think about this. You put to silence the ignorance of foolish men by what? By your submissive conduct. 
doesn't, again, I'll jump ahead there just for a second with the thought to wives. What, what does Peter tell us? How, how do wives win their husband? By being boisterous? He says, no, through their quiet submission, through reverence, through a gentle spirit. Those things that come by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because in your flesh, you're going, listen, I know better than this guy knows, and that's true. You know, I can do it better than he can. True. But has God called you to? No. And that's hard. But that's the arrogance and the pride of our human heart. You know, we all think we know more than what we really know. But he says, as is free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Remember, you know, Rome wasn't a democracy when Peter, you know, wrote this. What was it? You know, it was an autocracy. There's one person in power and it was Caesar. <laughs> and whatever Caesar said went, right? And that's how it was. And you know, we know what happened with Nero being in charge there. You know, Christians, because of uh, trying to cover his own tracks, as I shared with you the last couple of weeks, uh, he, you know, ended up putting believers tied to poles, ditched in pit, tar on, out in his garden, lit them aflame, drug them behind, you know, chariots through town until they were dead, tortured them by throwing them to the lions or wrapping them, like I said, in leather and dipping them in water, let them just shrink around them and torture them and kill them. And yet here's Peter going, you know, it, it, it's like, here we go, well, he, 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 Peter didn't know. Peter might not have known, but did God know? And the Bible says of itself that the, that the word of God was pinned by men who were moved by the Holy Spirit. These are the words of God. They're good for all people, all places, all time. Verse 14 goes on, it says, or to the governors as to those who are sent by him. It says, for the king, for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. And you, you think about, you know, all the different levels of authority. You know, Rome had 28 imperial districts there. there there's districts they were governed by governors and, or you call them uh, uh, Pontius Pilate, procurator there, governor. And, and because he was in charge, he had the Roman army at his disposal. And again, and the, we, we know this, it's called the Pax Romana, right? You remember the Pax Romana? It was called peace by decree, meaning that uh, the, the government said, you're going to live peaceably or we will send the army in and uh, we'll level the place. So it was, it was peace by decree, you know, by force is what, what they were saying. And, it's, and it says that these were established by God. It says, for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. So the point is, if you're obeying the law, should you be afraid of the law in the truest sense? No. If you're going the speed limit, you know, talking to my wife, you know, um, she shouldn't fear, you know, being pulled over by the police. You know, you don't have to live, you know, looking out the rearview mirror all the time. You know, you can drive forward, but if you're, if you're living in fear, you're always doing what? It's the same thing in our, in our lives. You're always doing what? If you're living in fear, you're always looking out the rearview mirror, right? And Jesus is going, hey, forget what's behind you. Press on, you know, to what lies ahead here. 
we submit ourselves, he says, to every ordinance of man, whether to the king, whether it's Caesar, whether it's the governors, we're to submit to them. And like I said, Peter knew that this day would, would come, even this day that we call, you know, COVID-19. And why should we submit? It says in verse 15, it says, for this is the will of God. This is the will of God. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And, you know, when it says, you know, for this is the will of God, you can just put it like this. It's kind of like, you know, your parents going, why do I have to do that? And your parents said to you, because I said so. How many ever had your parents say to you, because I said so? Was that good enough for you? And it wasn't, but if you'd crossed that line, yeah, that was, but that's what it's saying, because God said so. Well, Jesus put it like this. He said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. You'll obey me because you love. That love would be the motivation as to why we obey. So then there's a question that comes up with this, and I want to really end with this today. The natural question that arises, especially in light of COVID-19 and this culture and time that we live in, you know, is there ever a time when you look at it in context of this chapter as living stones as the church that we should rise up and defy the king or the governors? And the answer is yes. We're, we're living in, in a time. You think about this, and, and I gave you this early on when COVID-19 hit, you know, because this was the argument, you know, what do churches do? Do we follow the mandate of the government? And you go, for the most part, when we can, yes, we do. The Bible says, as much as it's possible with you to live at peace with all men, right? And it's really a simple statement. And it's what Peter is alluding to here. We should obey the government as long as obeying the government doesn't cause me to disobey God. And I shared it with you like this. When being a good citizen requires that you be a bad Christian is when you should stop being a good citizen. Then sometimes they're going to rival one another. And you think about that. How's it happen? You know, there's all kinds of examples in scripture. You know, I'll, I'll give you a few. I, I appreciated what Pastor Skip Hyde uh, drew out from 1 Peter 2 here. He basically said this. He said, you know, example number one is going back to the Old Testament when Pharaoh of Egypt commanded the Hebrew midwives to kill the boys that were among the Hebrews. And it was the law that was passed, kill the baby boys, but they refused to do it. In Exodus chapter one, it tells us, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king commanded. So that was flat out disobedience. Next, there was a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And he drew the, again, when the captives came in, Daniel and his buddies uh, they made them eat a, a certain diet that was against the kosher Old Testament law, uh, the delicacies of the king's table, but they refused to eat. And Daniel chapter one tells us, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. He says, you know, I'm basically, I'm, I'm not going to obey you because it would mean that I would have to disobey my covenant with God. And he was willing to suffer the consequences. So it's not that we sneak around, it's that we just go, I have to choose to be obedient to God. You know, later on, you see where Nebuchadnezzar had built a, a huge image to himself, a golden image, and he commanded that everybody would bow down to it and they would worship that image. But there was three guys who wouldn't, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They wouldn't bow down. They said in chapter three, we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image. Later on in the book of Daniel, King Darius, he made a law 
that for one month, for 30 days straight, nobody could pray to another deity except for himself. He said, you want to pray? Pray to me. What did Daniel do? Daniel chapter 6 says, Daniel opened his windows towards Jerusalem. He knelt down on the ground three times that day, and he prayed, and he gave thanks before his God. Did he defy the king? Yeah. And you go, why? When being a good citizen makes you a bad Christian, that's when it's time to stop being a good citizen. I can't determine that for you. I won't tell you what you have to do in that. that that's, an, that's an issue of faith. It's an issue of conscience. One of the things I love about when I talk to churches and pastors where they're going, yeah, uh, we're not meeting. Uh, we're, well, we're meeting outside, but we're not meeting indoors because you know the government has said this. And, and I've had numerous people, my, my wife as well, people that go to attend other churches, friends that we have. And, and you would think that they'd go, well, you know, we're not meeting, you know, you shouldn't meet. I haven't heard that one time. What I've heard from other believers who are in churches, they're, they're meeting, but they're meeting, say, outside. And they go, you guys are meeting inside. And they go, good for you. Good for you. Because in their own conviction, they're going, but they can't make their church, you know, meet. And we've had people that visit here and that are coming here during this time. And they've said, hey, I'm gonna go, they're going to go back to, you know, the church that they came from. But they, they believe in meeting together. They, they know that there's something about coming together. And they need that. Not everybody needs that. That's okay. We all have different measures of faith. So it's just, you know, understanding that. In the New Testament, you remember Peter and, and John before the Jewish Sanhedrin there, they, they passed the law. They told them that they couldn't preach Jesus Christ any longer. And what did Peter say in Acts chapter 5, verse 29? He says, we must obey God rather than what? Than men. There's going to come a time in all of our lives that we're going to have to make that decision. I can't make that for you. You can't make that for me. When you stand before God, I'm not going to be there next to you. When I stand before God, you're not going to be next to me. And so the important thing is, is that in your heart, you've answered those questions. Those are questions of faith. And so again, what does it do when we live uh, again and obey the government that's before us? It says it puts to silence the ignorance of foolish men because they can see the transformation that's taken place. That we're going, I'm not living in fear. I'm living in love. So many believers today are living in fear. You know, our lives have been mapped out for us before we were ever born. That's what the psalmist declared, right? Our number of our days, I mean, God knows the exact number of our days. Jesus said, you're not going to add a single second by worrying about it. You might be able to lose a few though, you know, but you're not going to add to it. And so what it's calling us to, and it's what I love about this, you know, again, in verse 16, it says, but live as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as, as bond servants of God. And he closes with this, where we'll end today. He says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So again, it's just not about outward obedience, but it's an inward attitude of our heart as well. That's what Peter said. That's what God is looking at. The heart of worship is where's my heart truly at? And you think about that, all four of those statements, you know, in verse 17 have to do with submission, willfully placing ourselves under authority. And, and I'll close with this, you know, we, we will pray for our president today. Um, you know, if you've watched the news and you've, you have social media, I mean, you, the country's even divided over, you know, our country, you have people that are going, I, I hope that he dies. I hope that he dies. And it wouldn't make any difference if I was a Republican or a Democrat, I mean, to have that attitude? Because what Jesus is, is telling us is that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
Uh, we are a very divided country. We are a people who have gone astray. And, and yet, Scripture makes it really clear. And I, and I love this because I, I think about this for myself. And I want you to think about this today. Regardless of your, you know, political positions, um, we're called to, to love people. Amen? Period. Because they're born into this world. We're called to love them. To love even our enemies. To love those who persecute us. To, to love those who hate us and spitefully use us. And that's, that's impossible to do unless Jesus Christ reigns supreme in my heart and in your heart. And I can tell you this, though, and I, and I want to close with this. It's impossible. Hear me on this. It is impossible to hate somebody that you pray for. It is impossible. And I know that because I've hated people before in my heart. And when I just began to pray and do what God called me to do, even when I didn't feel like it, did God change them? In most cases, no. But you know what he did? He changed me from the inside out. That's what we were singing in worship today. That's why I love that song. I was thinking about that all through worship, from the inside out, because that's the work that God wants to do in my heart and your heart. First Timothy, and I'll read this to you and we'll pray. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul says this, he says, therefore I exhort first of all that supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for who? All men, all men. For kings and all those who are in authority, that would be our president and all those that serve, you know, in government, that we may, that we, we pray for them, <laughs> but look at this, that, that we, we pray for those in authority that we, may lead a quiet and peaceable life in what? In all godliness and reverence. Because I want to keep up with John, I'm going to do this. Did I get my smiley face to go across there? Is that, is, is that good? Yeah! Yeah! Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward and uh, we're going to close with an open time of communion. I'm going to let you uh, receive communion today uh, on your own. And as they're leading us in worship, as you know, we have stations here. There's one over there. There's one back there. And uh, again, just enjoy this, this time with God and let him look at what's going on on the inside. Because that's, that's where this transformation has to take place. It's not about conformity. It's not about trying to keep a bunch of rules but it's a relationship as we recognize who we are and whose we are, the work that we begin to do. That's why when Peter says, you know, abstain from fleshy lust, and we'll talk about all those things next week, that's easy to do when you realize I'm a pilgrim passing through. I don't need that stuff. I was thinking about, you know, I sold my backpack. Uh, or, no, it's in the truck. You can have it. It's in the back of the truck. I, I, I took that backpack to Mount Whitney, the top of Mount Whitney back in like 2004. And, and I remember going to buy stuff to, to go to the top of Mount Whitney. And I went to a backpacking store and I wanted to get a skillet because they said, you need skillets when you go like backpacking. And so I'm telling the guy, you know, where I'm going, he's going, sir, I was a kid then. He's like, sir, but uh, you don't want a skillet. And I go, no, I do. I said, they bacon and eggs. And he's like, sir, you have to carry the skillet. You want to travel light. Let somebody else carry the skillet. 
And I, I, it's funny, I, I thought about that, you know, yesterday as I was preparing for today. I was like, yeah, you know what? There's so many things this world is going to try to get you to pick up. And you need somebody, and that's the Holy Spirit in our life, going, no, no, travel light. <laughs> travel light. You don't need all that baggage. Let go of all that stuff. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, amen? Get your eyes on Jesus, and you'll let go of all kinds of stuff. And maybe you need to do that today. And that's a, it's a great opportunity in this time of communion is to go, Lord, you know, what's between me and you? You know, Lord, get that stuff out of my life and to appreciate, again, verse 10. I skipped that deliberately for communion. Verse 10, that we were once not a people, but we are now a people of God, amen? We were a people who had not obtained mercy, but because of that cross today, we have mercy, amen? We did not get what we deserve. We got heaven that awaits us. May that impact our lives today. Father, we thank you for today and for the opportunity to get together and study your word. And Lord, we do. We want to lift up our president and first lady to you today. And uh, Lord, as, as they themselves have come down with COVID-19, and uh, Lord, their lives in the truest sense aren't any more valuable than the next person. But yet in our country, their position is, not them, but the position as a world leader, as the leader of our country, uh, Lord, we pray that, uh, God, you would heal them, that, Lord, you would bring healing to their bodies, Lord, that in this, you would use this to humble our president. Uh, Lord, I, I, I've seen how, how his tweets have been different uh, the last couple of days. Uh, Lord, when your life's in the balance, uh, like we were talking about today, and fleshy lust and all the things that we can so easily get tangled up in is, Lord, he's He's having a come to Jesus moment uh, in his own heart. And I pray that it would bring revival for him, that he would recognize his need for you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that Lord, you would use this just like in his life, you would do in mine or anyone else's to get us to, to see our need for you. And I pray that Lord, as a country, we would have that same kind of heart, both Republicans and Democrats, independents, whatever we might call ourselves that, Lord, first and foremost, we'd call ourselves children of God, created in your image, Lord. And may we bring glory to you, living quiet and peaceable lives in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit, meekness, power under constraint, Lord. Our world needs you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use this time, Lord, to eliminate and remove those things in our life that we cling to and hold on to so that we'd shine like stars, Lord, for you that we'd be the salt of the earth that hasn't lost its flavor. Lord, use us, Lord, we pray for your glory and for the good of our country, God, for our city, for our homes. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.